Welcome to Executive Tools. Welcome to The Box, Chapter 1, Freedom and Responsibility, Part 1. This cast answers these questions. How is being an executive different? What are some of the common mistakes of new executives? Are there rules for executives that are different? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Here we go. Well, from my own history, I can tell you, becoming an executive is heady stuff. You don't become an executive by accident. <laughs> right. You have to want it, and you know it when you're made one. Yeah, and you better want it. If you get it, you better want it. Yes, yeah. it's oh, yeah. hard enough to dissuade people. Because it wants you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll eat you. And you know, the, the funny thing is, or sad thing, I should say, not funny, is that many executives ruin their chances for further advancements after becoming an executive by continuing habits that have been successful Absolutely. for them up to this point, but violate the unwritten rules of being an executive. Yeah, it's the whole new S-curve thing, right? That's We're right. on a completely different S-curve. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they're unwritten rules, and we wouldn't be executive tools if we didn't share some of those unwritten rules with you. So Yeah, exactly. So I want to start with, this is, okay, this is a rule, but I don't think you'd get a whole lot of people agreeing with how we position it, but it's our way into a broader set of rules that are almost all unspoken. And so I want to tell the story of the box, which I've told you like many times, and then what I thought we would do is we would turn this into a recurring series of casts with different mistakes that young executives make relative to that new S-curve that they're on, but also a function of the box. That when I tell people about the box... And I say, okay, you're you're in the box, and you need to understand what the box is. They're like, what? What? Yeah. Right? I, th I thought I had more freedom. <laughs> Let I me explain out. the box. Let me out. I explained the box, and they said, oh, my gosh. You're right. I'm in the box. Right. And you want out, but you can't get out. Unfortunately, it's one of those things yeah. you can't get out of. Well, that's the problem. People don't understand that there is a box, and then they behave outside the box, and they don't. Look, when you're an executive, you're not going to get specific feedback. There's an old saying in corporate America, which was executives don't get performance reviews. And people are like, well, why shouldn't they set the example? Yeah, well, executives sometimes think they're above management. They're not, and they shouldn't, but they do think that, and they behave that way sometimes. But the reason why, quote, executives, unquote, don't get performance reviews is, as the old saying goes, it's because you can read their performance review every quarter in the Wall Street Journal. That's right. Now, the point of that joke is if you don't run a division whose <laughs> results are publicly reported every quarter in the Wall Street Journal, you may but may not be an executive. We're not making that case now, but the point is, is that when you're an executive, things change and people don't understand it. And it's frustrating. So I want to define what the box is first. And then I want to take what we're going to call, we're going to call them box mistakes. Box mistake number one, it happens to be one of my personal favorites because it either you either get it or you don't early on. And that is freedom, choosing freedom over responsibility. And folks, if you don't know this, when Mike and I record for the millionth time, I'll tell you, I'm home in Pebble Beach in California. Mike is at home in Modesto in California. We are recording this 
using some recording software and we're on Zoom so we can see each other. And before we started recording today, Mike was saying about how he, when he read the show notes, he was reminded of an experience that he had when he was an executive at MCI, which uh, which I have encouraged him to share. So let's see if I can talk less this time so Mike can tell his mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Okay. So we've chatted a good bit. So I'm going to go bottom line up front right now. When I say the box, when Mike and I say the box, what we mean, quote, the box, unquote, that means the limits required of executives in their behaviors as a professional and to some degree as a person as well, as a function of their special responsibilities to the entire organization. And here's the thing. There are too many of us becoming executives thinking that becoming an executive is a reward for your previous effectiveness, which it is, but that is not the lesson the organization wants you to learn based on your promotion. If you think that, if you think it's a reward, you're actually kind of less than half right. Yeah, you are being rewarded. You will feel rewarded, okay? But those rewards, as with all things, they come with strings. And they're not going to talk about the strings. When you get promoted and they, you find out your salary went up 30 or 40%, as opposed to maybe previous years of 2 or 3 or 4%, depending upon the economy and the organizational performance that year, you're going to say, whoa, and that, that should certainly get your attention. Well, they're not, they're not going to talk about them, right? And unfortunately, oh, no, they're not. And unfortunately, they're not obvious either, which no, is really the challenge. Uh, and look, it's not like Mike and I were magically, these stuff was beamed into our heads when we were 12. We, we did some of these things and learned these lessons the hard way. And then in my portion of my career that I've been coaching executives, I've seen all this stuff. And I can remember one time, uh, eh, maybe a COO, I was about to say deputy CEO, but a, a COO of a company says, Mark, can you come in here and explain the box? to a couple of guys. I said, sure, I'm happy to come in. And I got to tell you, the light just went out of one guy's eyes. He's like, I don't have more freedom. No, you don't. You have less. And then the other guy was like, oh, thank you. I get it now. I now understand the looks on the other people's faces <laughs> when I do these things that I want to do. And they don't right. seem to be happy with them, but they seem like what they want me to do. No, dude. They're not happy. Yeah, no. Trust me. They weren't pleasant expressions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, looking at yeah. you at the corner yeah. of their eye, like, really? Yeah. So people, so you don't hear about the box. And unfortunately, if you don't know about the box uh, and, and the rules, you ignore those rules and the box at your peril. So here's where the box comes from. About 20 years ago, when I started coaching executives, I had a series of experiences that were really unusual. They really... It really struck me as like, wow, this is an unremarked upon, I'd never heard it written about, part of managerial, executive, professional life. And it really, I really feel fortunate that it happened in such a way that I was able to see the pattern because there are all kinds of patterns that happen to us day to day life, right? And you're like, oh, only later did you realize <laughs> what, what was going on. So, I was running a leadership team offsite. 
I was facilitating it and I was doing more than just time and so on. I had part of the agenda and so on, but we were doing an introductory exercise before this meeting. And one of the people in the room, the most senior person in the room, but not the CEO of, of the company, but I think reported to the CEO, drew a picture representing his life. As so many of you know from the Manager Tools introductory exercise podcast, it's one of our all-time favorite manager tools. You can use it over and over and over again, never gets tired. And so everybody got the flip charts and they put their name on the top in their role and then they drew their picture and they were going to come up and talk about their picture. He drew a picture. Now, this executive was not naturally a flamboyant person. He wasn't exceptionally outgoing, certainly socially solid, good guy, nice person. You know, I've been to his house many times. He's been to my house many times. He wasn't somebody who you would say, Wow, they're you know he or she's out on the edge. They're they're uh, they're a, a handful. They're a ball of energy. You would never say that about this guy. Now he also wasn't dull. He was a pleasant guy. He was normal. Uh, I know that I probably overused that word normal, but that's what I think. Yeah. What do you know about normal? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Abby. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Mike and I have joked with each other all the time that when we're thinking about whether or not something would work in the marketplace, and, and Mike says, or I say, I think it'll work, and we we call each other Abby for Abby Normal from the movie Young Frankenstein, meaning we are not normal in terms of the likelihood of us being able to predict the success of our products. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay, so... The picture he drew and shared and talked about was a close-up of a man in a suit. But it's a it's an unusual close-up. It's there's no head, it's just upper torso is shown, and it showed the lapels of a suit coat and a tie up to the knot, right? Just very simply drawn, surrounded by a box. Right? So there was a box within his picture, like his, like his picture had a frame on it, which by the way, is not normal when you do the manager tools introductory exercise. And the edges of the box were twice as thick as all the other lines in the drawing. And it was striking to, to see it when you're, you don't realize that you haven't told people there are no boundaries. You don't need to put, you know, you didn't frame your picture. And then when you've never told anybody that and no one's done it. And yeah. then when somebody does it, you're like, whoa. Yeah. The frame is important, right? It meant yeah, something. exactly. And so he got up to discuss it and here's what he said. And he outranked everybody in the room. These are people who look up to him, who court his favor, usual stuff. He says, guys, this is me. This is how I feel in my role. I put on my suit. I come to work and I have to be what you all and the company need me to be. He was a hospital guy. While most of you see me as having a great deal of power, and he says, I suppose that's true, my image of myself is someone hemmed in by the massive responsibilities of my job. I worry a lot about how we're doing. He made a big deal about the worrying how our doctors are doing, our patients are doing, how our nurses are doing, how our staff are doing. I can tell 
that almost no one I talk to here talks to me the way they used to. I got to tell you, that was big. Even among former friends, there is a tension, an awareness of my new elevated role. It has changed those relationships. I'm still like everyone else. I'm still just like you. But that's not how this role feels, nor how others respond to me. It's different. And the room was quiet when he finished. And to me, I'm going to be selfish here and say, when somebody does something like that, something truly honest and spoken from the heart, first of all, it makes the meeting fantastic that here are these professionals getting together and we're not play acting what we think would be a good meeting. We're going to be great teammates and not necessarily unburden ourselves, but we're going to be candid. And we're going we're gonna to show candor in a way that maybe there's a bit of personal risk or a per, bit of, uh, you know, sharing that makes people feel like, wow, that, that's authentic. Let's put it this way. It's more than verisimilitude. It's real. And for me, I, I thought, oh, how is this meeting going to be anything other than outstanding? The mm-hmm. senior person just shared something so significant. All right. So that happened. And I was very impressed that he shared. But just to be clear, guys, my first understanding of the box was not then. Okay. Technically it was, but I only saw it as him Mm. and he was being candid, right? Right. That's, that's how I saw it. Okay. Now he and I went on to talk regularly about his new role, the feelings he had, so on. While the group that he had presented to took his words kind of somberly. He he didn't mean it to be only that. He felt that his understanding of the nature of his role and the worries that he felt were legitimate parts of his value to the organization were really important to him to help him be successful. They were both guides and limits, right? And I, I told him the old military adage, which I've always loved, the, the higher you are up on the flagpole, the more your butt is exposed. Okay, but here's really where the story, in my opinion, turns. I'll never forget that guy. By the way, Mike, you know who this guy is. I'll oh. remind you who it is okay. later. I don't want to say his name on his air. Some, some of the people may know him. So had that been the only instance... I would have just thought, here's a guy who's really candid, and he really gave me an insight into how one executive thinks and feels. But guys, that's just the start of this story. Over the next five years, over 20 executives in sessions like this, in conversations with me as I was starting a coaching relationship with them, they drew similar pictures or made similar introductions or shared similar similar personal revelations. And here's what drove the point home for me. The folks who describe themselves inside the box, if they only described it verbally, I then drew a box like this guy had, and they got it. They pointed at it and said, yep, that's it right there. The executives who saw themselves this way, who felt it, who knew it, who understood it, who felt the pressures of their responsibilities, notably outperformed many other executives whom I worked with who didn't get it. And finally, I realized I got, that's one of the things I got to start teaching. Mm. So by the way, if you thought that I was 
born at age or age 25 with the knowledge, complete knowledge of all exec, all things executive. You're wrong. I learned stuff. And that's part of what this cast is about is sharing with you what we've learned. These folks, for them, their realization of the nature of their responsibilities far outstripping their role power or the freedoms that they might have because of their role power, it made them more effective, a lot more effective. In my mind, this is probably, it's not 100% true, but this is the way I think of it. They became executives with that knowledge. It wasn't the role that made them an executive, mm. right, Mike? Right. It wasn't. It was that realization and the, the, the decision that they made about their responsibility. Right. Decisions and behavior based upon that knowledge. Yes, exactly. That awareness, interestingly, you may feel, oh, I don't like that. Some of you, you high eyes out there and some of you high, D, high Ds, which are quite frequent in the executive ranks are going, oh, I, I don't like this. But for these folks, that awareness did not lessen them. It didn't limit them. Look, they felt lessened. They felt tightened. They felt restricted. They felt hemmed in. But the outcome is not, I am what I feel, but I am useful because of the choices I make. The limits that the box put on them focused them. It helped them to understand the parameters that they were working in, the stakes, very high. It helped them to grow. It helped them to live up to their roles and responsibilities. It eliminated a lot of choices that might have been interesting, but weren't what the organization needed them to do. Many of them talked to me about having developed this alter ego, which is a conversation they're constantly having with the organization. They're asking the organization as an entity, what do you think we need to do? What does the organization need? What does the future of this organization need? And then what do I need to do to do my part in that? And look, executives who don't understand the burdens of their responsibilities mattering far more. The burdens matter more than your additional powers. Those folks, if you don't get it, you're going to underperform. What ends up happening is they make it about themselves rather than about the organization. And in many cases, they, well, Mike's story, they, they try to acquire parts of the organization. They make it about themselves. They create a fiefdom. They, they act like a feudal lord and they want more people and more budget. And the more budget you have, the more flexibility, the more slush that's in there. And there's a microculture around themselves. They're, they probably tend to attract sycophants to come work for them, to uh, reassure them about how they're doing. And it's sad. Now, look, I'm not saying here, guys, that you can't be yourself as an executive. You must still be an executive. But your individuality must exist within the box. When you become an executive, effectiveness is not achieved by expressing oneself I, I feel the need to express myself. No, you don't get to do that anymore. You don't get to feel the need to express yourself. You ask, is it useful for the organization to hear from me on this issue? 
It's not what you want. It's not what you feel. This is why for years I've been saying to people, oh, well, I feel this and I feel that. The organization doesn't care how you feel. It really doesn't. And this is not a popular thing to say in the world in 2021, but folks, it's been true for a long time and it'll be true long after you're dead. It's the nature of the incredible benefit of human organizations. When you become an executive, your effectiveness is not achieved by expressing yourself, but by channeling your responsibilities into activities that deliver on those responsibilities. Maybe it's a good time now to share the story that I shared with you sure. this morning. So let me set the stage. So I'm, I'm at MCI way back when. I had, um, I don't know, I think our organization was around 600 people or something like mm -hmm. that at the time. But primarily, my the systems I had were order management and account systems. I didn't have, quote unquote, the billing systems. But I inherited an organization that had a smaller billing. So I was 100, 150 people, maybe something like that, maybe 200 people. I can't remember. But a billing system, that was not the primary billing system for consumer markets, right? Mm-hmm. And, and up until, so just a little bit of <laughs> honesty here, like probably up at that point in my career, I had been acquisitive, right? I was looking yeah. to grow my organization. And wouldn't you say though, that you were a creature of your environment? So was everybody else? Oh yeah. I, I was think fiefdom that's, building that's everywhere. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the bigger fiefdom, then you got, at some point you got such a large fiefdom, they had to promote you whether they wanted to or not. I, I think that's probably going through my head. Silly, guys, just completely silly way to think about things. But at this point, I became mature a little bit. <laughs> I became aware a bit. And I realized that the organization that I had acquired was not consistent with my other responsibilities, was not useful to the organization, and fairly expensive to have a bunch of people working on a billing system that the main billing system could certainly do, right? Okay. It, it had all the case. So it's nothing... Special people. No, the people were great. There's special people, right? But yeah. they um, they had a system that could be integrated into our core billing system. And so, in a uh, a flash of maturity, I went to the billing system director and said, "Hey, look, it, there's no reason my systems ought to be doing this. We can save a bunch of money by integrating into the core billing system." And so we did that over the course. Of, I don't know, it must have been a nine month year project. It yeah, was sure. A fairly significant thing, but we got it done. And then ultimately, I found another organization on the business side of the company that wanted the skills and these great people down in Atlanta. And so we, so yeah. I said, yeah, take them. You can take them, take the operating budget. Um, so we took care of the system. We did the right thing according to our architecture. And we took care of the people. So I felt really good about it. Now, yeah. the funny thing is, no executive, come, the CIO, Nobody never, said anything. never said anything to me about whether that was good or bad and different, I, I don't know. We did it. I mean, everybody was involved in the project, thought it was the right, the right thing to do. And it wasn't driven by the customer. It was driven by in, you know, internal IT stuff. Right. So prior to reading these, these show notes in the, the moment between awakeness and, and sleep in the morning, mm -hmm. I was thinking about this, about this event and wondering whether or not it made a difference in my career, whether people of even noticed it that. Did. <laughs> of course it did, right? Of course it did. And things like I kind of moved up a level and it was clear that it was a good thing. But at the time, nobody ever told me. So that, that whole thing yeah. about, you know, executives not getting feedback, well, there there's an example. Yeah. 
And when I read these show notes, I go, oh my God, of course, of course it got recognized. Yeah, I, th- I think I just tweeted recently that, that the, the moment somebody really becomes an executive is when they start making decisions that negatively impact their group in, in return for the organization benefit, yeah. as, as you did. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and to be clear, I, I never thought of it as negatively impacting me, frankly. I mean, that's right. kind of part of the, the growth, right. the, I think, the maturity there, which is it was good for the organization. Therefore, it was good for me. I, yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, you know, we, we've talked about this before. The box is that realization of organizational responsibility, and the military has a phrase for this. It's called the burden of command. And you know when somebody mm. has had a command and understands it. They talk differently about, you know, they understand now that the desire for the role is different than what the role actually is, and you come out of it mm-hmm. and changed, changed person. And basically, whoever you are, if you embrace the burden of the job and not the power of the job, you'll become a leader. Because that's what leaders do. They accept the burden. If you want the power, that doesn't make you a leader. You'll have power, but it won't be, in my opinion, it won't be authentic power. And I, I hate to do this. I was thinking about this, and uh, it was sheer luck. I was writing this, uh, started writing this last weekend, and just so happened I was listening to music, and in a rare instance, I was listening to not instrumental music, not my classical music, but I was listening to music with words, and sheer luck, Jimmy Buffett's song, It's My Job, came on my iPad playing music. I was sitting on the back porch, smoking a cigar, writing my podcast, and it was almost like God said, I want you to know this while you're writing this cast, (laughs) because in the It's My Job song, here are some of the lyrics. I got an uncle who owns a bank. He's a self-made millionaire. He never had anyone to love, never had no one to care. He always seemed kind of sad to me, so I asked him why that was. And he told me it's because in my contract, there's a clause that says it's my job to be worried half to death. And that's the thing people respect in me. It's my job, but without it, I'd be less than what I expect from me. And so I had this revelation that if both the military and corporate America and corporations in general, large organizations, and Jimmy Buffett believe about the burden, you can bet the box is universal. Yeah, well, it must be true by yeah, definition. Must. Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett, two great things. Yeah. All right, dude, I think we're we're like at right 30 minutes. This is probably a good, a good time to stop. We have quite a bit left to cover, so. I kind of hope this would be a one-parter. I know people are getting upset about two-parters. No, I'm not upset. They just want it all at once. Um, but yeah, it's a natural place to break. And I can already tell that when we get into the first mistake, I have a lot more even than it's in the show notes. So it will take longer I than 30 minutes. And I can't wait to hear it, to be, yeah. to be very honest. So excellent. All right. So we'll stop here. We'll finish this up next time. So in the meantime... 
thanks everyone for joining us. Really yeah. uh, appreciate it. It's great to to share this information with you. And Mark, this was uh, this is wonderful. I enjoyed this quite a bit. If you'd have told me I'd enjoy executive tools this much, I dreaded the burden for a couple of years. And now it's just, uh, I get so many great notes from people and I'm, um, I, I can't keep up with the ideas of podcasts. So really excited. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good stuff. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. So long, everybody.